Come on, come on. Welcome back to the back porch here at Franklin Bridge, where it's yet another rainy, rainy Wednesday. Dude, we gotta, I don't know, I gotta throw up a special prayer or something. Hey, can I just not rain on Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, awesome. Yeah, I mean, we just needed to not rain on Wednesday, so this is the Champions Playbook on the back porch of Franklin Bridge, sponsored by, uh, oh wait, we do need a sponsor. If anybody would like to sponsor this podcast... Our DMs are open. Reach out to at Golf if this is a place where you think you might want to sponsor your golf talents, apparel, etc. We have a very faithful audience and love you guys very much. So uh, if you guys would like to sponsor the podcast, reach out to Scott on Instagram at Golf. We might be having some sponsors soon, and we cannot wait for that. So um, I guess I really don't have... Too much else to say after that. We're gonna get into what we're talking about on this first episode. We're gonna have a quick like 15, 20 minute on one of Scott's famous golf legends that he loves to bring up all the time. So Scott, why don't you uh, kind of take us in here? Well, we're gonna do a uh, a summer of Sam Snead. Sam Snead Summers. Uh, he's got an awesome book that's really hard to find. A because it's not it. I mean, it's still in print in the sense of like you can find it used, but it's not in published form anymore. So um, it's titled "The Game I Love" by Sam Snead. Um, he wrote it when he was. It got published when he was eighty-five. That's crazy. I feel like that's like a it's great late. I feel like that is like a great age for a book about kind of like you to come out. You know, you, yeah. you have like full control over everything that's in that book, and you have pretty much your whole life lived at that point. Yeah. Well, I think um, one of the things that's so easy to lose is the history of the game, and not just the history of the game, but like how those guys played. Like they played a different game, they had different equipment, um, and there's a lot that can be learned from that time period. And I, I really believe it's the responsibility of instructors to kind of keep the history of the game alive. Obviously, you have your golf nuts out there that love everything about the game, and they'll dig up just about anything. But in a data-driven world, it's so easy to lose the art that these guys did and the things they were able to accomplish without any of that. Yeah, I totally which agree. Which is fascinating. There's also been like a, a big uptick right, in people who are playing golf right now, and I think we can thank quarantine for that. And so like as horrible as COVID has been, I feel like there's been just such a rise in this game. I mean, you've seen it with uh, the match like we had last night. Yep. Uh, Brady and Mickelson versus DeChambeau and Rogers, And they've had... Dude, those dudes can play. Yeah, they I'm can. I'm not talking about Phil and Bryce. No, yeah, I know. Aaron and, and Tom definitely can. But they've there's been four matches. Uh, so there's been four of them. And those have been incredibly great for the game and it's just been a place where you can just sit down and watch uh it's been a good introduction or introduction to golf for people who are big like for example rogers and brady fans right it's like they're bringing in these other sports to the game of golf which previously had only been played by the people who can play it really well right and so it's like it's super cool to see um you know 
your idol like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady go out there and hit a golf ball around. It's like, oh, wait, maybe I want to do that too or give that yeah, a try. These guys are athletes. They're not just football players or exactly. just basketball players if we go Steph Curry. Yeah. Like, it'd be cool if they threw in an average Joe, like two threesomes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a dude that's like a, I don't know, like a 10 to 15 handicap. Not those, not those the person that's just like a 30-something handicap, but like a 10 to 15 handicap playing with two guys well, that are single-digit handicaps, I mean, playing with tour players that are plus handicaps. They did with, you know, Charles Barkley. Yeah, but <laughs> gosh. Jeez. <laughs> oh, Barkley, man. he's uh, He was not made to swing a golf club. God did not make that man to swing a golf club. But let's see. The only reason... Effectively. No. It's like, you meant to play basketball, bro. <laughs> like... Just stick to that one. But all, all this to say, bringing people into the game, yeah. it's good to then uh, introduce those people to the legends of the game and the people who have made the game what it is today right, and the right. people who have um, influenced people. This might be, you know, Sam Sneed's a little bit further out, but, you know, people like Mickelson, right? And even, even DeChambeau yesterday on the match was, uh, you know, talking to Phil and he's like, he, he, chipped, he chipped in on one. He, he chipped in on one, and he was talking to Phil, and I think he was kind of sarcastic and kind of true. He said it a couple times throughout the match, but he was like, learn from the best, like, to Phil on all these, like, short game shots. And I just thought that was kind of cool. That's awesome, man. Well, it's – um. so the reason why I wanted to do this uh, – I actually got this book for my birthday. Um, I've wanted it for a while since I left Birmingham. Uh, but there's just – I don't think there's very many golf books that are worth reading that are actually going to help you or just be enjoyable. They like tend to be like golf instruction or golf like history Biography. or events. Yeah. yeah. And this is like this wonderful blend of all of them. Like as we flip through this, um, <clears throat> obviously you're not here to see this in person, but some of them are like one topic a page and it's a small book. So you've basically got two to four paragraphs. Of a topic. So, like, it's a perfect, like, bedside table or coffee table type Short book. Read. Yeah. yeah, where you could just grab it and read something really quick. Like, hey, man, I didn't know that. Um, and so he shares all sorts of stuff from his philosophy on the golf swing to things he watched uh, other people doing when they played, other professionals, uh, to just certain events. To I mean, there's, there's, not a, there's no limit of it. I mean, the title of it's perfect, The Game I Love. So, like, from everything from the swing so broad, to yeah. events to um, general advice to lessons learned. I mean, there's not a there's not an end to it. So, we're going to pull one topic every week. Um, I believe this episode's going to sit behind the paywall, potentially. Okay. So, we're going to do one of these. It's not going to be behind the paywall, so people kind of get a taste of it. Um, and then all of these will be... Um, you don't have to pay to listen to these so there's some great stuff out of this book and, and, and for the record to share it when we say you're gonna have to pay for these you're not gonna have to pay an extreme amount this is just stuff that scott and i love doing and talking about and we want to be able to give it to you guys but give it to the people who really want it like we don't want to have to put in all the effort to record a podcast and, and publish it without nobody with nobody to listen to it yeah uh, so we're just gonna put this behind the paywall at like a dollar 99 or even less and uh, you guys will be able to 
grab these podcasts and really kind of take a deep dive into some of the more technical stuff and the stuff that we can really cater to a niche amount of people right. rather than having to record a podcast for all to hear, right? So you're gonna if you really are into the game and want to learn a little bit more about these little niches within the game, Scott's the best person to talk to, and it's just going to be great to be able to put that out for the people who want to hear them. Yeah, and you know the other thing for me is like I want to encourage people to come out here and listen to it on the back patio. You'll be able to hear it. Totally, you'll be able yeah. to hear it live. For come free, on out yeah. here, I mean, dude. The food tonight, dude. We got these fried mozzarella balls. So <laughs> they're good. so good. They're great. All right, let's Love jump into Richard. this. All right, so um, this one uh, from old Sammy Sneed, uh, which random fact. Tiger Woods has tied him for the total highest number of PJ Tour wins. Yeah. Um, in the game. So, title of this one is Visualization and Mental Rehearsal. So, we're going to read this through, and then Jack and I are going to kind of dialogue a little bit about what we can take from this, some lessons I've seen in this, um, and how to apply it to your game. So, Visualization and Mental Rehearsal uh, starts this way. One of the most effective tools a golfer can have is the ability to see the shot he or she wants to hit. I would say that most of the great players in my day visualized naturally. He was born in 1912, so 1930s, roughly. Yeah. Um, I would use visualization in three ways. This is what got, like, got my attention reading this. Before I got to a tournament, I would picture the course we were going to play, and especially later in my career, I would imagine the shots that I would fit into the holes. Blueprinting, I called it, and I will discuss that shortly. So... Blueprinting is actually further on down in the book, and so we'll get to that one at a later date. Um, The second way I would use visualization was to visualize my swing, especially if there was a problem. I would try to fix it by seeing it better. The third way I would visualize was to see the shot I wanted to hit nearly every one. Even today, at this point in the writing of this book, he's early 80s, 83 to 85. Even today, I get a, better, a pretty clear picture in my mind's eye of what a high fade will look like coming into a green, even though I can't see the ball land on the green anymore because of my poor eyesight. Dude's still playing in his 80s and using visualization to imagine where the ball's going to land, even though he can't really see it all that well. Well, and we did a mini version of this, too, when we went out in the dark as well, when we went out in the dark a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, and these are the things you don't learn sitting on a track, man. These are the things you don't learn uh, standing on the driving range. Now, you can get an introduction to it on the driving range, but you don't really get to test it until you learn how to build that into your game and go on the golf course. Um, some of the things in here I actually did in college a little bit, and uh, sorry for all those listening for the uh, – they got to do their job. <laughs> but um, he would actually have us do some visualization before the event. Um, and I actually have a really cool example of my own. Uh, I may share it more broadly in social and another space at some time, but our coach had us visualize a tournament that we were going to play in coming up in the spring. This is in like January or February. And so he wanted you to visualize it and that you were doing, um, you were in a press conference after having won the tournament. So you had to do it as though you had won the tournament. And he wanted you to give specific examples of shots that you had hit while you had played. So you'd visualize the tournament, then you visualize the press conference, the types of questions you would get, and you journaled it. So I like I have I have written record of this happening. Um and so you forget about it, right? I didn't even remember doing that. I go back, I play in that event a couple months later. 
shoot 71 in the first round, tied for the lead for the first time in, my co- in a college event. I ended up shooting 77 in the second round, but learning how to handle nerves at the top I hadn't done before. I then finished that tournament. My coach said, he said, Scott, why don't you go back and look at that exercise that you did? Remember you did this tournament? I was like, yeah. I tell you what, I hit some of the exact same shots that I had visualized months prior. And so, like, your brain really doesn't know the difference between what actually happened when you're ter- in terms of visualizing a shot and what you visualized happening. The same parts of your brain fire exactly the same. And also, this is a game of misses, right? And so, if you can, like, if you can really visualize what your ideal shot is going to be, yeah. I'm guessing that your miss is going to be a less, a, a, how do I say this? It, it, it would deviate less from the actual shot that you visualized, Correct. right? And so, like, let's say, for example, I was out, I was out here on 10 yesterday, mm-hmm. hit uh, the best drive I could have hit right in the edge of the fairway, cut the trees perfectly, had a seven iron in to the green, and I was like, all right, I'm just trying to hit this one out. I'm fighting the wind a little bit. I want it to be high and land a little soft. And I thinned it a little bit <laughs> and it ended up rolling right up there next to the hole. I, it wasn't much right. of a thin. It was just two or three grooves below what I was trying to do. But like the fact that I literally visualized that shot and told myself what I was going to hit before I actually Correct. hit it, just because I was off by a little bit doesn't mean the result was off by that much. Correct. So when we've all played like from the middle of the fairway at like 110, 120 yards out and have missed the green. And yet we've also been in the trees in a difficult situation that you got to hit a low shot out and you like execute it perfectly. Now, if you keep trying to repeat that, it's probably not likely to happen if you don't have the skill set. But assuming you have some decent level of skill, part of the reason why you're able to execute that is when you are framed in, whether it be trees, bunkers, hills, weather, whatever, like it makes it easier to picture the shot that you're trying to hit. And our brains operate in pictures. That's why if I ask you to not think about the front door on your house, you think about the front door on your house in order, in order to not think about it, you have to first think about it and then redirect your thinking elsewhere. That's why people go, well, don't hit it in the water, don't hit it in the water, don't hit it in the water. They end up hitting it in the water or making it go way the opposite direction. They don't actually do what it is they want to do. Tell that story, too, that you were telling me, um, it was like two weeks ago, about that buddy who would sing the song in order to get oh, his yeah. stuff out. So th- I actually share this story in my book. Um, one of the guys on our team, uh, I haven't gotten his permission, so I'm not going to share it, but we had this dogleg right eighth hole at Oak Haven Golf Course, so if you look up Oak Haven in Delaware, Ohio, you can see this hole, the eighth hole. It's a dogleg right, um, but you have to stay in the left half of the fairway. Anything in the right half of the fairway runs down, and you have no shot at the green whatsoever. You've got these trees, and the green's awful. It's this giant two-tiered green, but the green's super small. Like, the tier is huge. It just, it's just not a good green. Greens run at, like, an eight and a half, so they're not a good golf course. But for him, like, his miss would tend to be right, and so... He would get up there and you'd hear him whisper it to himself. I think it's Beyonce. I don't, I don't know my artist very well, but he was like, to the left, to the left, everything you own. In the box, to the left. Okay, I got that right. That's, I had to go look it up in order to put it in my book. <laughs> so I got the reference right. But like, he, would, he would sing that to himself. If you were playing in his group, you could hear him say it just loud enough if you were listening for it, where he would sing it to himself as he walked up to the tee box to hit his shot. And lo and be, like, that was his way of figuring out how to get it not right. But it, there was no thought of like, don't hit it right, don't hit it right, don't hit it right, because the brain can't picture not something. Like, what is not tree? 
by, by yeah. There's there's no there's no picture. Our brains operate in pictures. I actually had. I'm not going to give all of this away because this is like going to be saved for the third episode that we have this week. But I had a version of that yesterday when I had my PR. I'm not going to say what it was, but there was two fairways that I was super worried about, and one of them was 11, mm-hmm. and one of them was um, oh shoot, oh well. Besides the point. On 11, I was worried about the last like three tee shots that I've had in my last three rounds have been pushed to the right that have been either in the in the crap or just borderline just borderline in the crap. And so I was shooting yeah. this the PR and I knew that I was on pace to do it and I was just like, "All right, I'm just going to tell myself like we're just going to aim left. Like we're not even going to bring that right side of the of the course into play here. Like I was just like, I was fine with it being on the hill. I was fine with it being on the cart path. I was fine with it being on the left-hand side of the fairway. And I hit that fairway and I was fine with that. And even though I didn't hit OP that day, I was fine with that. Cause I, I, I was playing, I was <laughs> yeah. just, I had a wedge to the green. That's yep. all I cared about. And so all, all that to be said, if you just take it, that even the possibility of it out of your mindset, you're going to be, in a much better which is shot, hard to do, much better spot. Especially if you've had a lot of bad experience on a certain hole or True. whatever, and it's not just in golf. Though. Like there are other areas in life. Like if you if you had a bad boss that was difficult to work for, and then you go work for a boss that's not anything like your past boss, you may still treat that boss like like you're used to treating your former boss, just because you're so ingrained to seeing things a certain way. And so it's learning how to picture things as they really are, not as you want them to be, or as they once were so um but yeah you have to have something specific in mind there's some people go by feel some people go by pictures yep most people can do some sort of picture which is where i think the shot tracer stuff on the tour has been really helpful when i've discussed visualization with players because there's they get to see the trace of the ball and so it can be very helpful like oh yeah i can picture a blue line i can picture a red line in fact the more colorful and more vivid your imagination the easier it is to actually execute what it is that you're visualizing. It doesn't guarantee you to hit a the exact shot that you want. I do this in putting too. Like I was telling you when we, did this we went with out your the other feeling, day. Yeah. If anybody's played like a PGA video game, uh, you know that they give you the little beads on the green to signify the slope ratings, right? Yep. And so I was telling Scott the other day, and like. I'm a player. Which is cool because I didn't play a lot of video games, but I've played enough <laughs> to know what you're talking about. Right. And so I was telling Scott. Because my whole play style is just based off of feels, and so I was telling Scott what I, you know, what I do in order to uh, mm-hmm. like see the slopes on the green, and I kind of do it like putt preview <laughs> on some of those games where you get like one cheat to see where the ball's gonna go at uh. a certain power, and so like how we were talking about feel equating my putting stroke to how far the ball is gonna end up going. If you merge that with my knowledge of the green and the visualization that I do as far as figuring out where the slopes are in the green, you get a pretty good estimate of yeah, where the ball's going to be. You can get up. a pretty dang good outcome. Yep. Um, and it helped me yesterday as well. Made yeah. a lot of, uh, made like two or three comebackers that were, you know, five feet. Yeah. And I think for the, for the listener that's listening to this one, like you should practice learning how to visualize a shot that you want to hit. And if you, I call it get your picture, hold your picture. A, you have to get the picture before you step in to hit the shot. And you're like, well, what if I can't get it? So pick a different picture. Pick a different shot. 
may not be a shot for you. Lower, higher, different club, different yardage, something. Like, different aiming point. Uh, like, I don't care. Tiger does it, too. Mm-hmm. When his dad was teaching me how to putt, he says this. He's like, two, yeah. I just take a picture. He goes, I take one look, take a picture, go back down. Do a practice stroke, look up, take another picture. Look down, see the picture in your head, and then execute your stroke based on that picture that you had in your head. Yeah, putt to the picture is what his dad used mm-hmm. to call it, which is an w- easy way to teach a young kid. Totally. Take a picture, putt to it. Um, but, like, get your picture, hold your picture. If you don't have your picture, don't step in. Once you get it, step in there, hit it. If at any point in time you lose it, get out of there. But you need to learn that discipline on the range a little bit and then learn how to do it on the golf course. So, um, But the second component that he does there is – um, the second way is to visualize my swing, especially if there was a problem. This is an interesting one. People don't do this very much. This is funny. So this is back. Let's let's figure this is probably 1940s. He's in his 30s at that point. Let's figure 1940s. So we're 80 years ago. That's crazy to think. Roughly 80 years ago. Sam Snead was doing this. There is real data, real research which hasn't figured anything out, by the way, other than to prove that he was right. Um, They started doing this in uh, USA Swimming, where they would take video of players when they were doing their best form in the water. They would put goggles on them blacked out, have have them watch their video with perfect form, then re visualize it for several minutes, blacked out, no sound just visualizing that motion over and over and over again, then going in the water and doing it in slow motion over and over and over again, and then go and execute. And the research has proven that if you practice like that, you can repeat that motion much more quickly and you can ingrain it in your habits a lot faster. So he was visualizing his swing in proof of research, or research is proving that that was an effective way of building and maintaining a habit. And just for the amateurs out there, I do this religiously. And if you go out and play with me, you'll see that I never I never take practice swings. The only the only things that I really the only thing I do is I do a practice swing on my putting now. But I was just about to say that. <laughs> but I don't do practice swings. And here's the reason. I don't like practice swings. I like practice swings in order to just like feel the muscles and get loose. But that's never an efficient swing, right? That's never the swing that you end up taking to the box, right? And so the reason why I don't do that is because I would rather repeat that swing on the range as many times as I can hit the ball, hit the ball, hit the ball, hit the ball. So that that way, when I'm up at the tee, I can just remember what my full swing is like. I feel like too many people, their practice swings look nothing like their their actual swing. Well, and they're still working on their game, not doing a practice swing for feel of what they're trying with the shot they're about to hit but I feel like if you can and again this is just me I don't necessarily recommend this to everybody but I can repeat that pattern better at a full pace in the actual swing than if I was to do like a practice swing before I got up because I know what it feels like and I know what it feels like when a ball is standing over my feet well and it's funny because you saying that actually challenges a lot of instruction norms that is, that is not a norm. That's not, nobody teaches to do that. 
I, like I don't know anybody that teaches to do that, dude. And you've seen me. I like that's. And I, been, I've let it. I've let it. I've let it slide. I've let it go. That's literally the only. Thi- I think that's one of the only consistent things that I've done throughout my entire time playing the game. No, it's funny. Nobody teaches that. But if you go watch a PGA Tour event when they're warming up on the range, you know how many practice swings they're making? Almost none. They may do like a little rehearsal of a feel, but not even do a full motion. Like they don't make practice swings. They're not. They're not pressing. They're not worried about it. Like, I'm just going to feel it and kind of go off of my feels plus the ball. Like, put those two things together. Okay, I'm ready to go. We talked about this with Taylor, too, uh, a couple months ago where he was saying, I just, like, or you were, was it him or you? He was just like, just take one ball out there, and if you lose it, you lose it kind of thing. Yeah, that was my advice, yeah. But, like, uh, the the point I'm trying to get back there is, um, shoot, what was I trying to say? I think I was just trying to say that, like, you know what it's going to be like when you hit the ball. And if you can, and again, I'm talking from a feeler's perspective. Not everybody's like me. No, but everybody needs to be a feeler because it's the only way to maintain it long term. I just think that if you're over the ball, you're going to have a better chance of hitting that ball accurately if you can just remember what it feels like to actually hit the ball rather than making a practice swing and feeling what you're going to do. Yeah. Well, Sorry, and that didn't. that probably didn't make any sense to you guys listening at home, no. but... That's just, what, that's just what's working for me. Well, and that's the unique thing. Like, visual, visualization looks different for different players. Um, but I think there's something to the fact that you don't make practice swings. I don't make a lot of practice swings when I do it either, which is funny that you say that as I think about it. It's like, I may make a few feel rehearsals, but by and large, I just keep swinging and go off feel. So we need to study that more. <laughs> I think so. Um uh, the third way I visualized is to see the shot I wanted to hit nearly every one. Um, you have to have a clear picture of what you want to do. Visualize before you go play the round what the, the shots you're wanting to hit and likely to hit. Even rehearse trouble shots. We used to do that too. Um, but don't hit a shot without a clear picture of what you want to do. Like If you want to play your best golf, you've got to learn to do that. And it, it'll take some practice. But if... I mean, 82 PGA Tour wins is saying a lot. So, if Sneed can do it, I think it's something that anybody can do. Um, but <clears throat> pick up a copy of this book, The Game I Love by Sam Sneed. I won't sign this one because my name's not on the cover. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> no, it's a wonderful book. Um, if you don't get it for yourself, get it for somebody that you know loves the game. And let's keep a little bit of this history alive. There are lessons that modern-day golfers, even PGA Tour players, can't teach us that these guys can. They played in a different era. They played in a different way. The greens were different. The courses were different. Um, The training was different. So we're going to be bringing you guys one of these episodes a week. We're going to try and put it behind the paywall, uh, see if you guys can um, go out and listen to these episodes that we're going to be – that we're going to be putting out. So – Things that you can expect behind the paywall. Okay, number one, you're going to get that content that nobody else is getting. Uh, little 1A under that one is that you can come out here to the back porch of Franklin Bridge and watch it while we record it. Yeah. So make sure you do that. Another thing that's going to be behind the paywall in these podcasts is going to be uh, potential merch giveaways, potential golf ball giveaways, potential lesson giveaways. When you're joining this paywall, you're joining a group of people who have access to more free content and more free stuff than anybody here at Franklin Bridge. 
And so yep. if you guys are wanting to contribute to that, it's going to be a great uh, way to not only shave strokes off your game, but be outfitted in the best lessons via Scott Hassey, the best golf balls, and the best merchandise here at Franklin Bridge. And it's going to be a great time. So this is something that we plan on doing a lot of things with. And if you guys want to get behind that, we would love to have you. And do that Summer Sneed series. Don't miss out. There's some one, not only wonderful stuff in the book, but I'm going to try and take it and go, here's how this works for you. Perfect, perfect. Well, from Scott and Jack on the back porch of Franklin Bridge, we'll see you here next week. Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. No, rain or shine. Rain or shine. We have some... Uh, we, can, we can ask Chef to make the mozzarella balls again. I mean, these things are absolutely insane. You guys have to come out and try them for five bucks. Grab a drink. Grab a friend. Grab some of these mozzarella balls, and we'll see you here tomorrow, Wednesday, 6.30. It's been Scott and Jack from the back porch of Franklin Bridge. We'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thanks you all for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. As always, you can find us anywhere that you guys are. So uh, make sure to check out Scott on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the above. His Instagram is at Golf. That's two S's and two E's. So make sure to go and check out everything that he's got going on over on his Instagram page. Uh, as well as make sure you follow Franklin Bridge. Uh, Franklin Bridge puts out some great things as well, and we want to make sure that we support them because they support us. So as always... Feel free to come by the back porch of the Persimmon Pub at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays to come and listen to us talk golf. So book a late afternoon round of golf, and then afterwards, come on inside, get some food, some drinks. Uh, we got some specials going on. We had some $5 flatbread pizzas. We had some amazing chicken tacos, as well as drink specials going on all night long. So make sure to support the Persimmon Pub as well when you come out. We would love to see you guys. We do one episode and then a live Q&A and then another episode. So from 7 to 9 on Wednesdays. We hope to see you soon and we'll see you on the next one. Peace.